if you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. You'll find links there on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that. I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune in to the other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. And as much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. That's what keeps the show on the air. You know you can also show your support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal or leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. You can find the links to the books or for donation options in the podcast description. And as always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. I have an incredible guest with me today, guys. You're not going to believe this. I have a man uh, who has overcome a lot in his past and has done so much with his life. He is Reverend Dr. James W. Smith. And my goodness, I cannot wait for this story. But in the meantime, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. and glad to be with you today. So whenever you introduce yourself to people, do you tell them that you're the Reverend Dr. James Smith? Yes, I do, uh, but I'm not into titles, so if they want to call me Reverend Smith, Dr. Smith, or Jeff Smitty, or James, I'm okay. <laughs> I love that. You're so down. It totally makes sense with your wife. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask, my first question is usually always the same. Where are you originally from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Lewisburg, North Carolina. It's about 30 miles north of Raleigh, the capital. Oh, sounds like it's a beautiful area. I've been through North Carolina a couple times. Nice. So tell me a little bit about your experience with what it is that you've been through. What kind of launched you into this path that you've you've been on now? Well, I mean, you give you a little of my background. I grew up in a small town outside of Lewisburg that was so small until when you enter it, you were leaving it. (laughs) I also went to high school there in that little small village. And of course, I graduated, went off to college, uh, then went to law school. I received my uh, law school degree, JD, and I started practicing in my hometown. And of course, uh, I was the uh, first and only African-American lawyer practicing at that time in my hometown. And I was also the youngest African-American lawyer practicing in the state of North Carolina. Wow. Got got into gambling and uh, lost my focus, committed a crime. went to a mental hospital. From there, I accepted Christ in my life 
And of course, I also accepted the ministry, the call to the ministry. Uh, after I preached my initial sermon uh, on January, the first Sunday of January, 1982, following day, I went to court and pled guilty to armed bank robbery, got a 15-year sentence, spent uh, five years in prison, got out in 1986, started my life all over again, went back to uh, school, got my doctor, got my um, Master's of Divinity and then my Doctor of Ministry, called to pastor, pastor for the last 32 years, and retired past December. And now I'm into podcasting, enjoying it. That's my life. My word, what an insane journey you've had. Wow. Do you know, uh, was it the, the gambling that, that kind of pushed you down the road to the armed robbery? Yes. Um, yeah. It, it, it was. Um, I don't know. I, I got into it. Uh, well, I knew gambling for uh, basically all my life because I had an uncle who gambled. And so I was very familiar with it, but I had never played poker. And so I started playing poker with uh older professionals uh, when I when I was practicing law and at first it was you know great I won and I lost uh, I knew how to get up those things I knew when to fold I knew when to hold but then it it, it got to the point where the love of the game kind of took over and instead of me getting up I stayed and played until the, almost the game was over and I think what added to it is that I was playing with professionals, other lawyers, barbers, bondsmen. Uh, we had a little circle. And so nobody was worried about money. You know, if you mm-hmm. need, needed to borrow $500, you got $500. And if I had it and they need to borrow from me, they got it. And because everybody knew that the next week, you know, they would get taken care of. And so I, right. think that, I think that added to it, too because I never had to get up, you know, I was just loving it. And so then I, you know, I was losing, uh, start losing at that point. And of course, if I knew anything, you know, I lost all of the properties that I had accumulated. I lost my first wife of five years. Uh, my partners and I uh, separated all because of my, my gambling. And of course, when I knew anything, you know, that was it. I, I messed up. There's a long story behind it all, but you know, I'm just trying to give it to you briefly and then allow you time to ask any questions that you want. <laughs> so we can make this a you know a good conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I do appreciate that. Your story is just fascinating. Yeah. There's always redemption available too, especially through the route that you took. Do you remember that moment, that exact moment when you found God? Yeah, well, I I was always in church, so that was a new. Uh, my mother was a very dedicated uh, Christian, so I went to church all the time. As a matter of fact, my mom was always in church, and I can remember gambling when I would try to rush home to make sure that I took my mom to church. You know, so I I knew about church, uh, but after my crime and I went to uh, they I was. Uh, committed 
by the court to the mental hospital, which is Dorothea Dix Mental Hospital, that was in Raleigh at the time, for a six weeks observation. It was there that I began to kind of come to grips with what was going on in my life, asking questions about how to let myself get into this place. And uh, my faith just kind of took over. And I just came to the conclusion that, you know, all of that stuff that I was doing, it was over, the drinking, the gambling, and that was really the case. It was over, and when I got out and came back to Henderson, where I was practicing law, you know, they reduced my bond because my bond was $100,000 at that time. They reduced it to 10000 and I got out, and during this whole time was just a different time for me, my my whole perspective on life changed. You know, I just was finished with all that crazy stuff <laughs> that I was doing. And, of course, uh, during that time, which was about a six-month period before I went back to court, uh, I was going to church, going to Bible study, and I felt a call to the ministry. And, of course, I went and talked to my uh, pastor. And, of course, uh, I w didn't want to do my initial sermon as the Baptist denomination somewhat required an initial sermon of you. So, but I didn't want to do that until I got out, you know, cause I was okay. I knew I was going to get some time. I was prepared for it. I just wanted to go in and not get in any trouble, get out because I knew that my life was going to be different because I had a made up mind. And so, uh, but I went, when I went to talk with my pastor, uh, he told me, he said, well, if you feel a call, then why don't you go out on and do your initial sermon now? You don't know what what you have in store for in in uh, prison. You know, it may be that he wants you to work with inmates, uh, you know, mm -hmm. what have you. And so I did. So I preached my initial sermon on that Sunday, first Sunday in, in uh, January of 1982. Now, we'll forget it. And the following Monday, I had to go to court, uh, federal court in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and it was there where I pled, pled guilty and received a 15-year sentence. Uh, at that time, you only had to serve uh, one-third of your sentence, you know, if, if you had good behavior. And I knew I was, I was going to have good behavior, so I knew I was getting out in five years. And that's, that's what happened. And so oh, wow. when, I, when I went in... You know, I, I did exactly, you know, I got a good job with the uh, uh, adult basic education. I worked in the chaplain's office. And as a result of that, I got lots of great privileges. I went out to Stallstown, Pennsylvania for a workshop uh, with Prison Fellowship. Uh, I went back to D.C. And when I tell people this is hard to believe, but at that time, uh, when I went to D.C., they allowed me to fly out by myself and come back to the prison. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And you still speak in prison settings, right? Yeah, not as much as I used to. Uh, I, uh, I was doing quite a bit in the federal correction institution. I went out to Kansas. I've been all over. Uh, the uh, I, I was on death row here in in North Carolina, but after I, uh, but since I was pastoring, 
I had, I, I, you know, it kind of not as often as it was before I start pastoring. And so now I'll go when I'm called, uh, but I do lots of inspirational speaking, just sharing my story and just doing, uh, you know, encouraging, inspiring, and hopefully transforming messages. And I do that through my podcast. Uh, my podcast is entitled uh, uh, Tell Us Your Story, you know. And, uh, of course, I, I uh, am about encouraging, inspiring, and transforming. And so that's what I do basically now. And I, you know, workshops, uh, seminars, and you name it. I've got a full line. I've got t-shirt lines, you know, uh, cap lines, encouraging, inspiring, transforming, all of that. So enjoying it. Very nice. You also have a great sense of style. I've got your photo pulled up right in front of me. Your bow tie perfectly matches your pocket square and it is sharp, man. You're looking good. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're, you're so kind. <laughs> But, you know, stories like yours are exactly why I uh, decided to start doing what it is that I do. I, I know that we haven't had too much of an opportunity to talk beforehand, but I'm a survivor of human trafficking. And God saved me for a very special reason that I couldn't find for a very long time. Oh, wow. And finding people like you who have been through the trenches also and have come out the other side and you've learned to speak up and you talk about not just what you've been through, but what you've overcome and who you have become because God decided this is your path. Mm-hmm. It's so important that we get those messages out there. There's so many people that are feeling lost. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. You know, uh, when I got out uh, in 1986, I went to the halfway house and of course, I we had to get a job, and I went straight to the courthouse because that's what I did. And I uh, saw a lawyer that I do, and asked for a job, and he told me to come by the office, and I got a job starting next week. So you know, everything has worked out. Got applied wow. for seminary, and the first semester that I, I applied, I didn't get accepted, but I didn't get discouraged because I knew why. I, I assume. They were wondering if I was very serious or what have you. And so the next semester I applied again and I got accepted. And, mm. you know, so, you know, I, I never got discouraged along the line. I knew why things were happening to me. Uh, I After I'd been with the uh, out for a while and working as a paralegal in some church, I mean, in some law offices, I decided to uh, apply uh, as a sponsor of CLE, Continuing Living Education, for the North Carolina State Bar. You know, my license obviously had been uh, uh, disbarred, you know, Mm -hmm. had been disbarred. But uh, I was talking with a lawyer in Henderson who knew me well, and there was another lawyer who had gotten in some trouble of embezzlement. And, of course, they allowed him to do CLE. So there was only one disbarred lawyer in the state of North Carolina that was doing continuing living education. And so my lawyer friend said, I've read, his name is Jim Blackburn. He said, I've read Jim Blackburn's book, and uh, your story is interesting, too. Why don't you uh, apply 
to sponsor CLE with the state bar and said, I think lawyers would love to uh, hear your story and your sharing with them. Well, my, my situation was a violent one, so I just didn't feel as if I would, you know, it would work for me. But when I came back, talked to my wife now, uh, 32 years, well, 33 years this year. Wow. And, and uh, she said to me, she said, well, honey, you don't have your license anyway, so what can you lose? So I applied. <laughs> I applied to the state bar, and they gave me an answer and told me that uh, uh, I should hear something from them within two weeks. And, of course, two weeks passed on that Friday. I didn't get anything in the mail. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking that all they can see is an African-American guy who robbed a bank. And that wasn't a really good picture, okay? Mm. So what I did, I got dressed. Well, you see, the, you see, you say you have a picture of me. But I got dressed in a three-piece suit, put on my tie. I got a haircut. I, you know, I had a haircut. And I said, I'm going over to the state bar. I went over to the state bar, and a lady came down to talk with me, and I could tell from her expression that she was kind of shocked to see who she saw. <laughs> and uh, she said to me, she said, uh, Mrs. Smith, she said, you should hear some from us within the next two to three days. Wow. Next to the next two to three days, I got a letter saying that I had been approved as a sponsor of continuing legal education, ethics, and mental health. And so for 11 years, I just, I just gave it up when COVID came in. For 11 years, I was one of two, the only African-American disbarred. Uh, and there was one other person, Jim Blackburn, who was disbarred, who they allowed to sponsor CLE. Oh, my so, gosh. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. You, you dress for success and you don't give up and you mm -hmm. show up and you get what it is that you're looking for. So many people wouldn't have ever made the effort to go down there. They would have just said, obviously, they don't want me and they would have just given up. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I love that you didn't give up, James. That's no. amazing. And 33 years this year with your wife. Yes. 33 years. Congratulations. That's amazing, too. July 21st. And it's interesting because um, we talk about it, we kind of laugh, and this is the truth. Uh, we, we knew we got married on July 21st, uh, and I had never thought about it until maybe about maybe 10 years ago. And I said, honey, you know July 21st was the same, the same day, July 21st, that I robbed the bank. <gasps> Oh my gosh! I honestly, when we got married, I never thought about it, and you know, we never <laughs> talked about it. I, I, it just never crossed my mind <laughs> until I was just thinking. I said, "Oh, you know, it was July twenty first when this happened to me." You my know? gosh! So the low point and the high high point of your oh, life yeah. were on the same day. Oh, yeah. yeah, same day. Interesting. Man, how did you meet your wife? Well, what happened? My, my wife's husband was a minister, and he preached at the church, and uh, he uh, came home and had a heart attack. Uh, left her with two kids. One was uh, uh, five at the time, and the other one was uh, 10. And 
and uh, uh, what what happened after he passed the hit the church that he was pastoring uh, was looking for another pastor and they had called a pastor but he couldn't get there until uh, that next month and so one of the Sundays in December I never will forget it was in December 1989 uh, they called me over to render the service and I saw her out there in the audience and uh, I got home and I called just said how you doing and somehow you know it took off from there and I was working with the law office in Warrington and one of the uh, uh, secretaries to the, to the office uh, knew her and I said, you know, I just asked some questions and she, cause I, you know, at first I always thought I was this cool, you know, <laughs> guy who could, you know, could get any lady that I want, but now you know, I've got this record, so I'm a little bit more cautious, didn't, didn't know if anybody would talk. And so she knew me. She said, well, Smith, do like you used to do. Just just, 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 just approach. And so I got, I, I got a, I went to the uh, uh, floral shop and got a uh, roses, carnation, I think it was at the time, and sent it to her at the school. She was working, uh, she was a teacher. And she was teaching at the school. And I say, for information on who this may be, uh, call Loretta. Loretta was the one who was at the law office with me. And so when she, when, when she got off, she called Loretta and came by the office. See, and Loretta said, well, there he is. He's right over there. And somehow it, that's how we started talking. <laughs> you are slick, mister. <laughs> You still give her yeah. carnations once in a while? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we have a very good relationship. Yeah, very good. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, the kids are great. You know, she had two kids. Uh, one, like I said, one was five, and they're all grown now. Uh, yeah, you had to practically to, help uh, raise them, right? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, they're my kids. They acknowledge it. You know, they. Yeah. You know, they're my kids. Yeah. That's neat. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And your book, Deal by Me. Mm -hmm. Do you happen to have a copy of that handy? Have you got a portion of it you'd like to read for the audience? If not, that's okay too. Oh yeah. I uh well I have I think I got them in the car. Uh I think I've got yeah, they're in the car because I keep them with me. People always ask me for a copy when they see me. Oh wow. Uh, but uh but I know some of the things that I talk about in the second book. I can oh. share. I can share with you. Yeah. Um, the second one, the first book I wrote was "Deal by Me," uh, a golden opportunity blown, and that was based on you know my blowing my law practice. You know, so it kind of correlates. The "Deal by Me" symbolizes my gambling and my saying. I don't want the next hand. Okay, I hope you can you can feel that. Mm. Uh, and so then I I wrote my second book during the COVID, and that book was based upon a self evaluation. It's entitled "Deal by Me," second edition, uh, a self evaluation. 
before I actually share things that I learned from what I went through. And of course, uh, there are some things that I talk about uh, in this uh, a book. And I share things like, you know, common things that we hear all the time, like the darkest hours just before dawn, uh, talk about confronting the source, you know, uh, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. <laughs> yes. Play with fire and you'll get burned, you know. And yep. all it relates to where I was going through, you know. Uh, accept responsibility, you know. And, of course, I talk about don't let your circumstance be an excuse. Uh, and, of course, uh, I share, you know, uh, how don't be afraid to fail. And that was that particular one. I was really interested in because uh, while I was, you know, be, being out, I was still going different places talking. So I contacted a, 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 a place in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which was uh, uh, a, I guess, rehabilitation center for uh, uh, compulsive gamblers. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the people who have alcoholics, you know, mm -hmm. uh, go for me. And so uh, when I called over there, I told him I'd like to come over and talk with the guys. You know, I had been gambling and I knew a little bit about it. And uh, he asked me if I was uh, still a gambler. And I just told him, I said, no, I don't gamble anymore. I mean, I'm finished with it. And he said to me, well, I'm not sure if the guys and ladies would appreciate you coming over talking with them because uh, we believe that uh, once a gambler, always a gambler. You know, same concept with alcohol. You know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Okay. Right. And I told him, I said, "Well, I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm, I know I'm not a gambler anymore. You know, period. I just don't gamble." And so from that point, I started thinking about it. And when I was doing my book. The, the last one during the, during the COVID period, during this three year COVID time, uh, I started thinking about that, and I kind I came to realize in my self evaluation that I may not have been a compulsive gambler. That I think my problem was more that I was afraid to fail. Uh, you know, I had been this outstanding lawyer, and everybody was saying about me who knew me. Uh, I was a, I knew I was a, a good lawyer, not boasting, but uh, try some some big cases, rape cases. You know, I've, I've had them, uh, and uh, I was this first and only African American lawyer to practice in my hometown. I was the youngest at age twenty six African American lawyer practicing in the state of North Carolina at the time, and you know I had kind of this big head, and so <laughs> now. I'm getting ready, to, you know, I'm, I've lost everything, and I'm going to the bottom. And I think my thought was that if I could get enough money to just take care of my debts, I could just pay off everything, and I could just get started over again like nothing would happen. Now, that's silly talk, but I'm just telling you how I yeah. thought I was thinking at that time. So I came to the conclusion that I may not have been a compulsive gambler, but I was probably afraid to fail. Right. Okay. I can hear a little bit of that in there. You, you created big shoes to fill. 
Yes. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a rough road to walk. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's expecting big things from you, including yourself at that point. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. Man. So where would people go if they want to grab your books? Well, they can go to my website. Uh, that's uh, www.dealbyme.com uh, where they can get a book. Uh, and there is no uh, shipping fee. I send it out, that get an autographed copy of any of my books. And uh, the first one is Deal By Me, Golden Opportunity to Blow. Uh, in between, I wrote another one which dealt with church conflict because I was, a, uh, I got, and I haven't shared everything with you, but I also was uh, appointed as moderator of moderators to the General Baptist State Convention because of my legal background. And wow. they, wanted me, they wanted me to work with churches that had conflict. And so I wrote a book on that entitled Let's Come, uh, Come Let Us Reason Together. That's in there. And then my last book, that I wrote uh, during the COVID period is the second edition of Deal By Me, a self-evaluation. And they're all on my website. I've got cap. I've got a t-shirt that's engraved, encouraging, inspiring, transforming. And my logo, uh, Deal By Me, is in the t-shirt. All of that's on my website. Pricing is on the website. Now, the books can also be purchased from Amazon.com. Uh, and, of course, any other bookstore, once you ask, they may have to, you know, uh, request it. But yeah. you can you can get them. But the ones on Amazon aren't signed. I want to sign ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll sign them for you. Go to the website and pick it up. And, and I also do, you know, workshops uh, on, my, on my website. And I also uh, am available, contact for uh, speaking engagements, uh, do a lot of inspirational speaking. So that's that's my life, enjoying it. Absolutely. And 33 years married to a wonderful woman. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are incredible. Um, so there's always two last questions that I like to ask people. And the first one is how do you celebrate your wins in life? When something goes well, when you accomplish something new, how do you celebrate? I just give them thanks. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful. Uh, yeah. I, I don't ask for a lot now. I just thank God for what I do have and for blessing me each and every day. Yeah. And, and I don't think I, I, you know, I don't need a whole lot. I, I just felt his blessings. Uh, I'm fortunate. I have good friends. Even my former partners, you know, we get together every once in a while. My best friend, even when I was practicing law, is still one of my best friends. We eat, you know, so life is just good. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> and what is one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? I think I am considerate. I think I'm very humble, and that came as a result of what I went through. Yeah. Uh, I, I, if I want, if I can give you one illustration about the humility, and that that area is in my book, also the last book. Um, 
when I got out of the, uh, when I got out of no hospital, went back to Henderson where I was practicing law. I didn't have a job. I knew I couldn't go back to my law office. And so I had my friend who had a service station allowed me to work at his service station because I, I needed to make some money, you know, help my mom who was at the house. Um, and I pumped gas and I washed windshields. And later after about a month or two, I got another job at a service at a supermarket in Henderson. And this, this was before Food Line, Kroger, and all the other major uh, supermarkets that we know of now. It was, it was called Safeway. And everybody came to Safeway to shop. <laughs> and uh, I got the job because I was, I was in, into politics. He knew me. I ran for district court judge in 76. And if the law had been like it is now, I would have been the first elected African-American uh, district court judge. Wow. But uh, I lost uh, in the primary. I, well, I won the primary with 47% of the vote. See, now all you have to get is 40. But in the general, in the runoff, you had to get a 50%, and that's when I lost. Mm. So, so the gentleman who ran the Sayway knew me well because he was chairman of the county commission, so he just gave me a job. But uh, the job that uh, I had um, was behind the, the cash register, bagging groceries. And so clients of mine, uh, family members, friends, everybody shopped here. Same thing for the service station. And I would walk their groceries to the car with them. They talk, you know, um, that taught me humility. It was like, wow, I used to be thought I was all this and that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm walking groceries to the car with my former client, you know, yeah. or I'm washing the windshields or pumping gas in, in the cars of my former client. That's the humility standpoint. So I, 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 I feel that I possess that quite, you know, that that's something that sticks with me. Yeah. You had to swallow your pride to get the job done. Exactly. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Wow. You have had an incredible journey and I know without a doubt that you have inspired so many people to turn their own lives around. Has anybody ever come to you and, and specifically said, because of you, my life is different? Oh, sure. You know, I, yeah. That, that, was, that was almost <laughs> for 32 years pastoring the same church. Yeah. And, and, they, and, and I never hid anything. You know, when I was first called, I laid my total background out. And uh, then I have a very large church on Sundays, on average, about 100 members in, in service, on membership roll, about 200. But, you know, I got that all the time. Reverend Smith, you don't know what you have done for me. You know, when you yeah. preach, when you preach, I see where you come from and I, and I just feel it. You know, yes, I get it all the time. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. You'll find links there on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that 
I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune in to the other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com.